You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Warning. Thunder Talk contains foul language, adult subject matter, and is intended for mature audiences. Good evening, Thunder Faithful, and welcome to Thunder Talk. In this episode, we are, once again, going to turn the majority of the show over to our good friend, Troy Bernier, director of the Miami International Sci-Fi Film Festival. If you recall our coverage of the festival last year, then Troy's guest will be no stranger, Gnu Benton. Ojibwe, Native American filmmaker, will be returning to the show to discuss his new film, Mirror Man, along with other topics that concern the Native American experience in America today. Of course, you'll have some of our shenanigans and silliness thrown in as well, but certainly the focus, the crown jewel of the episode, if you will, is the time Troy spent with Mr. Benton. So without further ado, Troy, roll the thunder. We finna take over, no more makeup shit You know my crew been doing it since the 80s, bitch We run this shit, make them bow down, king and shit Greetings, Internet people. My name is Troy Bernier, and we're on Thunder Talk. Today, we speak to you from the Miami International Science Fiction Film Festival. We will speak about the film Mirror Man. It is a touching thriller that is way more reality than fiction. The story is wrapped around a native police officer doubting her traditional faith, who is called to a possible burglary, but is met by a supernatural entity that leads her to a buried secret. The director of the film is Gnu Benton, who is an alumnus of the festival and one of the first recipients of the Russell Bates Award. He also won Best Director for the short film Looking Glass. Mr. Benton is Ojibwe, a Native American filmmaker local to the Hamptons on Long Island, New York. He grew up on a Shinnecock Nation territory, went to Southampton High School, and continued his education graduating from Stony Brook University with honors in theater and high honors in media arts. Mr. Benton is also a 2007 Ford Foundation Film Fellow with the Sundance Institute and participated in the Fox American Indian Summer Institute at UCLA, among many other events and festivals. We are very honored to have him today. Canoe Benton. Gnu, mm-hmm. it's a pleasure to see you again. It really, you, really, really is. And um, I think the last time we saw you was on a, a, a wireless feed like this. And uh, you were somewhere in the opposite side of the country again. And we were talking about uh, a, a film that you had in the festival. And uh, that was called... Um, Looking Glass. Uh, the Looking Glass. 
you got an award for that. You actually got two awards. Mm-hmm. What were those you awards? Got, um, Best Director in a Short. Yes. And also the Russell Bates Award, which is That's right. um, Indigenous Sci-Fi Cinema. That's right. It's, it's sci-fi writing and cinema. We expanded that award to include cinema because we thought initially we would get writers. But mm-hmm. in turn, we had three <laughs> Indigenous films that first year of the award. And it was pretty crazy because there was lots of connections that that were in these films that we didn't even recognize until uh, um, we started pointing all the similarities out. For example, like, uh, I forget which film it was, but it was a feature and the, their machine looked similar to ours. And even the password to um, one of their plot devices was looking glass. So it, it was, it was a complete, just co- mere coincidence yes. that we had these things in common. Here you are again with your film Mirror Man, and you're in the festival again, but we're going to do something a little different this time. Last season was virtual, right? So even though you were a recipient, you're being honored and so forth, but it was an online honoring. So this time around, we're going to kind of do a retake on that. And you'll be honored properly this time. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> you'll be honored oh, man. properly this time. And yes, I, I remember saying that, you know, no matter, no matter what, even if Mirror Man wasn't selected anything, we, we still wanted to come down because it, we had such a great, we still had a great time last year, even if, even if it was virtual. Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was quite fun. I think I it was a week long. It was about a week long event, right? Week long. Yeah, and amazing lineup. It was so many good films. I enjoyed myself. Yes, watching, yes. Uh, watching the selections. It was really really exciting. Very happy. Wonderful time for everybody. There was so much positive energy in there. That positive energy has flowed flowed into this ninth season where we're here today. So, um, can you give us a little background about yourself? You know, you're you're coming out of New York area, right? Correct. Uh, Strong Island, as we say, Long Island, New York, um, out in the Hamptons. But don't let that fool you. Um, there's a humble reservation right in the middle of the Hamptons mansions. You know, that's uh, um, co- just just coming out of, you know, I don't want to say poverty conditions because we do have very successful tribal members. Um, but, for example, when my grandmother was alive when I was little, she didn't have town water yet. Um, there was some people that didn't have facilities in their homes because, uh, you know, people can't get mortgages or loans or anything because the reservation is not in the United States territory. So wow. Um, wow. growing up on the reservation, you can see poor to middle-class houses. And then right across the, the water, there's multi-million dollar mansions just kind of looking back at you and and uh, knowing as an American Indian that how your own people are on your own land and seeing what used to be yours and the uh, quote unquote, I'm throwing up quotes, success, um, staring us back in the face. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a awakening thing to be able to wake up in an environment like that, uh, grow up in an environment like that. You know, so this is a reservation Mm-hmm. This is Native American Actually, land. 
actually on Long Island. Um, the reservation is uh, actually Shinnecock territory. And it, it is one of the only few uh, sovereign territories that is not actually technically a reservation. So it wasn't land that was stolen and um, the tribal members put on there like a concentration camp, right? It was one, it's one of many uh, first contact tribes that are still on their original territory that the U.S. government didn't take over. So it's not technically a reservation. They say just for technical yeah, purposes just... to explain to people, you know, but it, it's not. It's an it's a unceded sovereign land. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know what's so bizarre about this audience? I grew up in New York and I never knew they existed. <laughs> and I that grew is up a com- that's it's so common. Um, not a lot of people. I mean, I went to Stony Brook University right on Long Island and people thought we didn't exist. When they met me, they'd be like, oh, my God, you're a Native American. It's like, yeah. It's like, wow, you got I, I thought they killed you all. <laughs> and it literally like literally point blank, especially being uh, Stony Brook University. And they're so diverse and they have students from all over the world. That's right. Who don't think that Native American people or or taught that we don't exist anymore or under the assumption, at least I can give them that credit, you know. All I can tell you is, you know, I grew up in New York City and I had no clue until I left the city and went to North Carolina Mm -hmm. and I ran into a bunch of people and my uh, sincerely ignorant, you know, I didn't know. I ran into a bunch of folks and I thought they were Puerto Rican and Mm -hmm. they're like, no, we're not Puerto Rican, man. We're Native Americans. We're Lumbee Indians. What's that? was that yeah <laughs> you know and i was educated and, and i was brought into the tribe they mm-hmm. said no nah, troy's gonna come hang out with us you're gonna hang out with us man we're gonna show you what's going on here mm-hmm. and that was a that was a hell of an experience you know so yeah it's um and then of course when i um went to university of montana that's where i went to learn how to be a field geologist and i got lost I got lost out in the field, you know, urban guy, but I got lost and I didn't know how to read the map too well. And I was lost and I ran into uh, an antelope. I came cross paths with an antelope and the antelope didn't run away from me. Mm. It walked right up to me. No fear. In no fear. And I was told that that's, that was your spirit that came to visit you. Nice. And and it was after that, I could read those maps like it was nothing. (laughs) After having that experience, man, I became a master at it. Okay, became a master at it. You know, that was an experience experience of my life, man. One of the best moments of my life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's powerful. It's powerful. You know, my my family's been at least my mom's family's been in the United States longer than it was before it was called the United States. On my mom's side, our family too. Oh, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> I know that. In fact, in fact, in fact, the last time we spoke, was it your grandfather who knows my second cousin? Who well, at least knew knew my second cousin? Yeah, because he's not my, he's not he's not with us today, right? Your grandfather. My, correct. On my uh, on my mother's side, my grandfather is Art Blakey Jr. and Art my Blakey. great 
and my great grandfather's Art Blakey Sr. So uh, my mother's grandfather's Art Blakey Sr. And for those of you who are listening who don't know, Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers are a famous jazz group um, from New York City. And uh, Art Blakey, both of them were incredible drummers and yes. famous drummers. Yes. Yes. And I like to, I like to say this all the time, but um, that movie with Tom Hanks, and he has uh, a famous picture of all the jazz. Uh, terminal. In, terminal. Yes. Thank terminal. you very much. Yeah. So if you listen, if you watch the movie and he's describing who's on the picture, he says Art Blakey because he was that big and influential in, in, uh, in the jazz era and that yes. era. And my cousin played with them. Mm-hmm. He was, who's still alive today. He's still alive today. He lives in Switzerland. And, um, when you, when still you come, haven't had a stock, yeah. When you come, I'm going to call him up because, you know, he's real shy. He doesn't like to talk. But when you come, I'm going to pick up the phone and we're going to have that WhatsApp with him. <laughs> we're going to have that WhatsApp with him. He just released some new music too. Nice. Yeah. It's, and it's good. It's so good. I'm going to play it in part of the show. We are pleased and honored to have real jazz royalty in the house tonight, as well as Troy's cousin, Mr. Byron Pope, off his album Speed of Light, No Boundaries.
would do when your child asks, What were Saturday morning cartoons? What were Saturday morning cartoons? What's wrong with you? Or will you handle it the right way? Sit down, baby girl. Let me introduce you to my friend, Mark McRae. Join Dan Clink and I on the Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast as we take a unique behind-the-scenes look at the history and dynamics of animation with plenty of laughs along the way. The Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast is a proud member of the ESO Network. Last time on Thunder Talk and Ring of Thunder, The Last Dab. It's so hard being an influencer. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Kylie. (laughs) And then gift number three was the home version of Hot Ones, Truth or Dab. Oh, fuck. (laughs) That's a whole mouth hot, dude. Aliens landed today. War of the Worlds would be like five minutes long because they would just get fucking decked by what we've got going on right now. Fun fact, the U.S. troops in uh, Gulf War, I mean, take your pick as to which one, in the MREs, the most prized possession was the Tabasco sauce because our armed services don't have the balls to give our kids meth. <laughs> like they should. They dab it in their eyes to fucking wow. stay awake, dude, like like as though it was Visine. Can you believe that? Feels good. That sweet heat. It's hot as fuck, but... Ugh, yeah. Chewing the mic, dude. I keep telling you, man. <laughs> Sorry, I have manners. Chicken is provided by Sphinx Gas Station Chicken. Making life easier. Uh, I don't know what else to compare it to. Like, I never stood on a fucking Soviet bread line. All I've ever known is, like, gas stations being convenient. I'm kind of familiar with the marble stuff. Yeah, a little bit, right? Yeah. Yes, a, a, a very tasty, uh, a, a very tasty paste for your chicken wing. <laughs> a tasty paste. <laughs> we bet on ourselves here. And now, the conclusion. You want to bring us in round three? Hot sauce has been my favorite toxic relationship. Oh yeah, yeah. It's at least my third. <laughs> but this one doesn't require penicillin when it's over. <laughs> <laughs> All right, question me up, dude. All right. BFF trivia. This is a fucking spicy one. All right. Tell us the name of every player's first kiss. Sexy Thor's first kiss. I know you don't know this one. It was at the uh, it was at the roller rink. You were both 10 years old, actually, but mature 10. It was a different time. Uh, you took her to see Batman, the first Batman movie with Michael Keaton. And, I mean, you went with your parents and your younger siblings, but you got to sit separately. It was a packed house, and you hold hands and you made eyes. And then the next night, you were dropped off the roller rink, because that's just what you did in 1989, 88. And it was between the claw machine and uh, Pinball. I think it was either Pinbot or Bride of Pinbot. She pulled you in, and it was magical. I can't believe you remembered all that. Yeah, dude, no. Like a steel trap, dude, this brain. <laughs> Wrong! Take it, damn motherfucker! <laughs> yeah, here we go. That was someone's first kiss. I wish my first kiss was after the, watching the first Batman. She would have pretend to be her British cousin. Because Patty Duke, the Patty Duke show was a big deal on Nick and Knight at the time. That's how cool she was. She'd straight up like be like, no, I'm not so-and-so, I'm so-and-so. She'd even have like two of the same t-shirt, but one was white, one was pink. Like the same like band or camp logo on it. And yeah, she'd roll around the neighborhood for like two days straight with a British accent, pretending to be her own cousin. Fucking awesome, dude. God. 
Should put a ring on it. Oh, no. I touched my eyes. Oh, oh, my no. God. Fuck. Oh, no. My eyes fucking hurt. My eyes hurt bad. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. No. No. Oh, fuck. Ow. Ow. Ah. Well, I mean, shit, dude. I was talking about our, uh, talking about our troops in the Tabasco. Oh, my God. Oh, that wasn't even on purpose. That wasn't even ironic. I mean, it is ironic. Oh, shit. Now it is. Oh, no. Oh, fuck. Oh, my God. I can see how the Tabasco works now. I can see how, like, this, you're not. Yeah, I can kick my meth habit now. (laughs) 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 Oh, fuck, dude. Call the clinics, dude. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, I've got the cure. Oh, no. Oh. Quick. Come quick, Dr. Quinn, medicine woman. Ah. Ah. <laughs> uh, uh, Dick Van Dyke, doctor guy. Come quick. Dick Van Dyke, doctor guy. <laughs> uh, fuck. Wait, what are you talking sh- about that show? Was he a lawyer? No. Hey, he was a doctor. He was a doctor, wasn't he? I'm thinking about, uh, I think about Andy Griffith. Matlock. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Holy shit. I always thought like Dr. Quinn and Fabio should hook up. Oh, my fucking eyes hurt so bad. Hey, don't touch your face, everybody. Um, yeah. yeah. Eat it with your mouth, not your eyes. Fucking dingbat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I feel good. You want to? All right. Well, I'll pull from that deck. That's the that's the Broham deck. Yeah, the BFF trivia. All right. In fact, double all right, because you're going to have to pull double duty on this question. List each player's middle name. What? What's my middle name? Martin. Okay, oh. that's half right. I have two middle names, dude. Uh, fuck you. <laughs> hey, I mean, fuck my dad. Okay, <laughs> fuck my mom. Fuck, fuck, fuck my parents, dude. <laughs> no, it's not it was my fault. Uh... Vaughn. Oh, that's a good guess. You know, Vaughn was my great-grandmother's maiden name. I <laughs> named uh, Brock's middle names. It's Brock Martin Vaughn Clink. Yeah, I read that paperwork back there. I was hoping it oh, was yeah. the same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, in fact, uh, here's a uh, little bit of uh, truth or dab. <laughs> uh, my younger brother first had the idea to use Vaughn as a middle name for a child. Before either of us were going to have children. And once we found out with like a few weeks apart from each other that we were going to have kids, uh, I was like, oh, I'm definitely taking Vaughn as a middle name for Brock. And I don't think he ever forgave me. Hmm. Time makes bastards of us all, you know. Sexy's applying his dab right now. All right. Okay. Healthy. Oh, shit. Oh, wait. Just just wiping the side off. On the chicken. Every part of the buffalo, dude. Chewing on that mic, dude. Let him know. Let him hear it. (laughs) Audio proof. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so tell us how you're feeling right now, dude. Walk us through this. You know, it's still still that good hurt. It's like that. It's like having an Alanis Morissette song in your mouth. <laughs> oh, and that bonus track, like hidden track in the end, it's so sad. Yeah. Your boyfriend's banging around on her. Yeah, I feel the heat more, but I still like it. Yeah, it's good, huh? I still really like it. That's right, yeah. Mm. I like that shit. 
Love it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. I mean, if it was possible to date this hot sauce, I might have to. It's good. Oh, that was, oof. Yeah, I would take it slow, and it would want to take it really fast. Yeah. It'd be like, I love you. And I'd be all like, and are, are already right there, that pause was enough to be like, that's a problem now. <laughs> See, and I just felt like every girl that I prematurely said I love you to. Wow, I get it now. <laughs> hey, ladies. Hey, <laughs> ladies. <laughs> so what, what, what got you into, into making film? So my tribe is called Ojibwe, and it's basically named after the language that we speak. And for those people who don't know what that is, um, the French actually mispronounced it and called us Chippewa. And so that word is well known. So, yeah, but uh, that's some people call them themselves Chippewas. And we know as Ojibwe's, that's not how you say it. And we tell them all the time, you know, you guys are Ojibwe's. But um, my people come from originally southern Manitoba, and we're what you call treaty Indians, meaning that we have dual citizenship on both sides, because before the boundary, the border was there, the U.S. and Canada border, um, we existed on both sides. So because we are a bordering tribe, we have free access to both countries. So we're dual citizens. Um, So I moved to New York when I was eight years old, my parents had split up and my mother remarried a Shinnecock man who is my stepfather and has been my dad for 33 years now. Before my mom had met my stepdad as a single working mother, we would often go to the local video store and rent VHS tapes and of my favorite movies. And coincidentally, I'm in the house of Heather Henson, who is the daughter of Jim Henson. And we are filming something right now. But if you can think of what that means to a little kid whose mom would take him to the video store and rent Labyrinth and Dark Crystal and all of these and growing up on Fraggle Rock, what that, what that signifies to my life as a filmmaker, um, to be able to film something for those people that you grew up with. You know, it's amazing. It's an amazing feeling. Um, So my mom would use film as a tool. Um, She would rent me movies like Mississippi Burning, um, The Color Purple, you know, Native American films that would come out like uh, Powell Highway, things that would accurately represent us as Native people and then also African-American people. Um, she would use movies as a tool. She's like, if, if you're going to be sitting in front of the TV while I'm not around, you know, I want you to learn some things. So I want you to watch these and we'd watch them together. And it became something of a thing where watching movies, I watch films with my wife now, you know, but when I was little, it was watching them with my mom. Yeah. Um, and of course, growing up in St. Paul and Minneapolis, being introduced to music like Purple Rain. My sister was a big fan of Prince back in the day, you know. Um, so as I got older, especially as a Native American, my mom was big in the theater in Minneapolis. So I remember that. So when we came to New York, one of the things that we would do for money is what we call gigs. Basically, we would perform at schools and things like that and uh, sing and dance and do Native American cultural presentations. And uh, that got me into theater and production 
So as I got older, I basically said, you know, I want to make films. And especially uh, when camcorders came out, it made it so much easier to film things and then right. uh, put it on computer. Mm-hmm. And of course, I ended up going to Stony Brook for theater uh, because they didn't have a film program. But they did have film classes, uh, digital video classes for the purpose of theater and projection and things like that. You're right. Um, but as a storyteller, I think as Native American people, when we would do these gigs and uh, recite, our, recite our ceremonial things, that helped with wanting to be a good storyteller, wanting to have things that would be impactful and metaphorical and meaningful to teaching people. You know what I mean? And figuring out how to do that visually was something that I adopted from the visual representational storytelling of Native American culture. You know, so we would be teaching, reciting storylines, but then also reenacting things sometimes. You know what I mean? Um, so all of that coupled into making films, you know. And so, uh, so, so then, I'm, you know, I'm going to have to ask you, what, what was the favorite? What was the favorite that put you over the edge into, into this as a career? Aliens. All right. <laughs> good, good choice. James Cameron. Good choice. James Cameron. I mean, like, I, I like Terminator and, I, you know, excited for Terminator 2. But Aliens was that one that I would always catch and especially mm-hmm. fall asleep to because it would often be on, on TV growing up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but figuring out that there are directors and the reason why you like certain movies all the time, because they have the same director usually, you know what I mean? So you would figure that out and then be like, wait a minute, I can be a director. Mm -hmm. I want to do that one day then, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know what I mean? So, you know, to, to know that there's somebody who makes all of your favorite things, you know, like, as I was saying, Jim Henson, you know, all of these films I liked and they're all his, you know, So wanting to be that and emulate that one day was like a big dream. Wow. So, so tell us um, what, what influenced um, uh, this film here that we have this season, Mirror Man. What was the influence about this? You know, this is a a story about a native police officer who is doubting her traditional faith is called to a burglary but is met by a supernatural entity that leads her to a buried secret. Yeah. I don't want to give away too much plot stuff, but the reason behind the film was my mom's mother in Ojibwe or Cree, we'd call her Kukum. And that that's, that's the word for grandmother. And um, she was a residential school survivor. And what residential schools are, for people who don't know, in many, many countries, the church had made schools in order to take indigenous people out of their indigenous children away from their communities to bring them up in Western um, and also the church beliefs. And um, during this time, there would be horrific abuses. And um, my grandmother was... A survivor of that wow and she remembered the children who wouldn't make it out alive mm-hmm. and uh 
I remember um, judging for a film festival two years ago, and I remember there was a lot of documentaries on residential schools and boarding schools. Mm-hmm. So that got me thinking about my grandmother again and the stories that she would tell about the spirits that she would see of the children. And um, that got me thinking about literally the horror of it and wanting mm-hmm. to make a short horror film based upon that. But doing it in a way where I made it my own, you know, right. there there had never there had never been a supernatural entity in a film like this before that I can recall about residential schools. You know, usually they're very um, they're not in the realm of the supernatural per se, where they just recount the stories of what had happened. But there hasn't been a horror film like mm-hmm. specifically. You know, they they were based on true story films, but nothing, and some of them fiction based off of fictional characters going through. Uh, something that it had really happened, but there had not, not been a horror film and a character representing horror like we do today, like a slasher-ish or, right. uh, you know, just a, a single person representing that, I guess, that it, franchise of a film. Not to pry too much into it because yeah. it is personal, but um, when you say your your grandmother you know, she survived this and others did not. How did she know the other ones didn't survive it? They just disappeared or did she know something was being done to them? It started because the children would just disappear and not be there anymore. Uh, and of course, <laughs> they, they, she had sisters that went to school with her. And, um, you know, aside from the things that she would go through, uh, the physical abuses, her sisters would go through them too. And they would often reflect even at their old age. Mm-hmm. Um, they, a lot, they survived to be old women. And that was a, a very fortunate thing to have happened because, you know, it's a beautiful thing when a native person, as much as any human being can live to an old age, you know, especially surviving a whole bunch the way they did. Hello. Have you ever wondered how much Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster sold Superman's rights to DC for? Or which uh, popular football star was Sam Wilson the Falcon's physical appearance based on? You can find all that and more at the History of Comic Books podcast, a podcast dedicated to the creators, events, history, and the companies that made the great comic book medium. Hosted and created by your friendly neighborhood, J.T. Wheatley. Please give it a listen at iTunes, Spreaker, Stitcher, and all our podcasting platforms. Thank you, and go ahead and enjoy yourself a good comic book. Thunder Faithful, it's been a while, but your friends Beth and Kavika, we're back with another What's on our tube? So first things first, Sexy, can you come in? Can you can you give the warning? Red alert. Spoilers ahead. So we're here today to talk about a show it's been out for a little bit but we just hadn't got around to watching it and then we finally were like the time has come we need to watch the righteous gemstones what daddy you just threw jesus across the room no it was a karate person no that wasn't a karate person that was jesus 
Yeah, so we binged this like pretty hardcore. I mean, we got really all up in it. And we were, you know, we, we, uh, we took our little gospel, you know, we, we had a Hallelujah. little, yeah, we, we had a little fellowship around the television and, um, we watched, I guess, our, our, our favorite preachers. I mean, is that <laughs> even a thing? <laughs> so the righteous gemstones, um, it's on HBO Max. Yeah. There are two seasons. The first season came out pre-COVID in 2019, and then because of COVID, season two got pushed. And actually, season two just finished, I believe, in February. So we weren't too far behind on season two. So what what's the Righteous Gemstones about, you might ask? Well, on Wikipedia, it says... The Righteous Gemstones is an American dark comedy television series created by Danny McBride. The series follows a famous yet dysfunctional family of televangelists. And then it talks about who it stars. And and it is already going to be renewed for a third season. Yeah, it got greenlit for a third season. Now, uh, the creator, which is Danny McBride, I mean, like, but he was like all over it, right? So he's like the creator. He's one of the directors. He's one of the writers. And you probably know old Danny uh, from like movies like Pineapple Express or Your Highness, This is the End. This or, is the End. Yeah, Land of sure. the Lost, you know. So usually he plays kind of like, oh God. A different version of the same guy. A different version of the same guy. But he, you know, he tends to be like a little bit of an asshole. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, quick with some wit and, you know, thro- throwing some things out, you know, verbally. I grew up in a hardworking middle class family. We weren't rich, but we also weren't poor. And we also don't really care. That's kind of a boring, lame origin story. <laughs> so the main cast, I would say, is what? We got John Goodman as Dr. Eli Jimstone. Yeah, he's the patriarch yeah, of the he's family. he's like Jimmy Stewart, right? Or, you know, what was that one preacher's name? I think it was like one of the Stewarts back in the day. Welcome home, Dr. Gemstone. Your whole ministry is set up to serve the Gemstones. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, I ain't. Praise be to he. Oh, I don't know about that. I always think of like Jim and Tammy Baker, you know? Oh, yeah. That's, that's kind of what I see like Eli and his wife, Amy Lee, being kind of like that. Yep. So we have Danny McBride plays Jesse Gemstone. Uh, the oldest son. The oldest son. Adam Devine, uh, Kelvin Gemstone. The youngest son. We got, uh, Eddie Patterson or Edie. I think it's Edie. Edie. And she's like the fucking psycho Judy Gemstone. Yeah. The, the middle child, the only daughter. She's a whole nother level of wild. Me and BJ are also strongly betrothed. Not a real family. No kids. Slam. I like that one. I don't got time for kids because I'm trying to keep this fresh physique. Fine. I'm not trying to be all loose and stretched out like Amber's played out pastrami. Enough! So this show really revolves around these four main characters. I mean, there's other characters in it, but it revolves around this uh, family that uh, preaches the gospel, you know, in, in like yeah, southern mega states. Church. Yes, like the big mega churches. And, you know, they're all rolling deep with like, uh, matching, you know, G wagons, like Mercedes G wagons. They all uh, live on a huge compound where they each have their own very large humongous house. Humongous houses. 
But it is hilarious. This show is crazy. And all the characters are, I don't know, they're they're out of touch with reality, wouldn't you say? Yeah, especially the kids, because they grew up very wealthy and without, I don't want to say without a lot of control, but their parents kind of let them do whatever. You know, like, as long as they showed up for church on Sunday... <laughs> <laughs> they were allowed to just kind of act wild and nobody said anything. Well, it's it's just like in real life, right? So always like the 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 preacher, the pastor's kids are always like the worst kids. They always they're, no, they'll either go one way or the other because oh, I've man, seen both. All, I mean, like I've seen the pastor's kids being the worst kids, and I've seen the pastor's kids like being overachieving well i mean like they're they're usually great on sunday morning right but not on sunday morning when they're not like uh help helping out the congregation you know they usually run amok and that's exactly what all the members of this family do John Goodman, he plays the patriarch, and he's trying to keep the family on 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 a task and uh, expand their uh, empire. Right, and, and it's it's just it's there's a lot of hilarity. Um, some of my favorite characters are like um, Kelvin or Adam Devine's characters. Uh, yeah, so his out of all the kids, yeah, so he's probably the, like has the best heart. You know, he was the youngest. Um, you probably know Adam Devine from like Pitch Perfect, Workaholics, mm-hmm. Modern Family, mm-hmm. like all kinds of shows. So <laughs> he's he has this great partner in crime, you know, oh, what, uh, Tony Cav- Cav- Cavallio or something plays like this Keith Chambers. And he is like his best buddy who helps him like do crazy shenanigans like the the beef squad or whatever the god squad the god squad in season two the, the god squad yeah well let me read there's quick little blurbs of season one and season two on wikipedia sees in the first season eli's estranged brother-in-law baby billy freeman is brought to lead in the gemstones new shopping mall based satellite church which reads leads to a conflict with reverend john wesley seasons whose smaller neighboring church is threatened. Concurrently, a trio of mass figures blackmailed Jesse with a scandalous video documenting the lewd behavior of him and his best friends. Dark forces are at work. Evil forces that wish to destroy our family. You think messing with a man of the Lord is easy pickings? I refuse to be blackmailed. You kind of are. I mean, that's pretty much exactly what this is. Yeah, so that's a pretty good description of uh, season season one one without, like, giving too much away. And then season two, Jesse and Amber... Amber is Jesse's wife, partner with Texas megachurch leaders Lyle and Lindy Listens to develop a Christian timeshare resort. Jesse and I are blessed to be teaming up with Lyle and Lindy Listens on a new business venture. Zion's Landing. It's a Christian timeshare resort on the sunny beaches of Florida. We got to align ourselves with the best. I mean, only pure thoroughbreds. That's exactly how we see y'all, too. We do. Powerful Christian horses type folks. The family faces threats, including investigative journalist Daniel Block, Junior, an old friend from Eli's criminal past, and a mysterious group of motorcycle riding assassins. Yeah, those motorcycle ninjas. I mean, they are pretty much ninjas. 
and they dogged them all of season two. Yeah. What do you think of this series? I mean, obviously we're hooked. I mean, th- that's why we're talking to you about it today. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was hilarious. And I also felt like it was kind of like if Ozark was a comedy and based on like a mega church. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are some like pretty crazy things that happen. And I mean, just like in Ozark, some people are going to die, right? And you just never know who that's going to be. But the underlying theme of it is definitely it's a dark comedy show. But I will say it's one of those shows that actually has some character development. Like you you see the characters uh, evolve over time, not necessarily by the end of season one, but you really start to see them change internally, I think. By the end of season yeah, two. Yeah, more of um, season two. And you, you start to grow more connected. Like, I dislike so many characters in this show, and I complain about them all the time to Beth. Yeah. <laughs> Which it's like, Judy is someone that I don't like, but she says some of the, like, craziest stuff that just catches me off guard and makes me laugh. And so I have fun watching her, but at the same time, I'm like... Judy, you're not a good person. And I think that's kind of why we watch it, right? We're, 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 we're watching these people that are, you know, being, you know, leaders of their flock, if you would. But at the same time, they are completely they're messed not, up. They're yeah. not practicing what they preach. No, they're not. And, and but it just, it gives, there's a lot of hilarity to it. As long as you like tongue in cheek and you can uh, not take things so seriously. I would totally give a rec- recommendation to watch this. Yeah, and I would definitely say like <laughs> this is the the worst of what you would expect from these type of people like in real life. You know, like a real life mega church leader this would be what you would not want them to be. Well, just let, uh, one piece of advice. I need. do not watch this in front of grandma. No, no, <laughs> not grandma approved. This unless is, This is not grandma approved. Unless you have the grandma that like drinks and cusses and stuff. If, if, if grandma's like that, then it's grandma approved. But not all grandmas. Hashtag not all grandmas. So any any other thoughts? Oh, your your favorite character is Keith. Is he is he the only one? Do you have any other favorites? Oh, I you know, I I just enjoy the like the play between Kelvin and Keith. Yes, I, their tru- friendship is very funny. I think like watching Danny McBride as Jesse Jimstone is probably my favorite. I mean, I just like out of all of them, Kelvin is the, you know, has the best heart. Yeah. But, you know, Jesse's the most hilarious to watch because, you know, he's the firstborn. Just like he's me, kind of know? the most entitled of them all. And well, I think yeah. some of it is related to like him being the oldest, the oldest male child in a patriarchy. You know? And he has like, he's the one that is like married and he has multiple kids. Like he's got kind of that picture perfect thing going on and so he's like well when something happens to dad or dad steps down i'm gonna be the one to lead this and this is gonna be my thing and so yeah he's kind of the most entitled but i was gonna say my favorite characters are 
Keith, I, I love him. He's so sweet. And I also like BJ. BJ is Judy's fiance. Oh, no, BJ's another sweet character. If I mean, like, they were both up, you know, in, in a contest to see who's the better human. Man, that, that's close. They're, they're both equally good humans. They just different crazy paths in their life. Yes, definitely. Well, thank you once more for joining us for another edition of What's on our tube? Officer Woods, the base? Are you the one that called in the break-in? Yes, I am. No, they're still here. I don't know. I haven't seen anybody come or go since I called you. So, what was going on there? Okay, so not not, 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 to, not to give it all away now. Yeah, not to give away the imagery or the storyline. Mirror Man is set in the present day. She gets called to what she thinks is a, um, what she's being told is a burglary uh, because the person that was in the home basically saw somebody right. and called the police. And she just so happened to be a Native American police officer that showed up. And... uh goes through this journey um, as any mythical hero does. You know, mm-hmm. she goes through her journey, but this is quite a, a literal journey as well, physically so, in her own awareness. So you're at Misifi. What other festivals have you gotten into and what's next? So the Mirror Man had just today, um, I was informed that it got into Austin After Dark Film Festival. Ooh, that should be good. Yeah, so uh, it's it's not too often, but basically when I submitted, there, there had been something wrong with my sound levels, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. So festivals really don't have to tell you why they accept you or don't accept you, and this is a reality. So I got an email saying, your film scored very low, and it may not make it in, but we just want you to say, we just want to tell you that we don't normally have Native American horror films. And we wanted to let you know that uh, we enjoyed the film, but it scored low because of your sound. Oh, wow. So, so I took that as a hint. Oh, wow. And I uh, went through the sound because, you know, if, if there was stuff wrong with it, I went through it and I went through it with other people and fixed what we thought was the problems. And uh, they actually specifically told us of three points where they really couldn't hear or background sound was too much. And mm-hmm. that's really on uh, that, that type of that's, that honesty is, is unheard of. That's uh, that's, that is not ordinary. Um, Correct. So obviously I took that as a major hint, like fix these and of course uh, whatever. And so when I fixed it, I emailed them and said, I fixed the problems and they said, they'll put it back into circulation. No promises because we're very competitive and, you know, oftentimes films don't make it if they're viewed twice or they're never viewed twice, you know? Right. Um, and here, lo and behold, we got officially selected for the summer session. 
That's awesome. That's a heck of that. That's a very, very nice of them. Um, yeah. Yeah. Most festivals, you know, I can tell you, I can't do what other festivals do, but I know at Misi if we, we accept works, work in progress. Mm-hmm. You know, we're one of the few festivals that accept a work in progress. So what tends to happen is the person tells us what's wrong or what they intend to finish. Right. And we say, okay, no problem. Because we, one of the best ways to get a world premiere is to take a work in progress. Mm-hmm. Um, but, at the, but at the opposite side of that, if we come across something that we really like that has a problem, um, I have told those filmmakers things like, you really need to shorten your film. It's a great piece of work, but you've got three minutes that just, that doesn't need to be there. It doesn't help your film. You can, you can leave it in there if you want, mm-hmm. but the chances of it being accepted drop. That mm-hmm. doesn't mean that we're not going to take it, but I guarantee you most other festivals will not take your film because we don't have a time restriction on our short films. We, we right. don't, we don't really do that. Uh, science fiction needs to be told and sci-fi tends to take an extra 10 to 20% of the length just to build the background, build the world. So it's normal for something that would be 15 minutes to be 20. It's normal. Um, that's a, that's, that's a plus. So it's going mm-hmm. to Austin. Where else is it going? Um, we won best horror short in Tokyo shorts. And Good then stuff. we got, we got nominated at Niagara Falls. Cool. Not a win, but no win. But of course, as you, uh, as you said last year, an official selection is a win. And to be nominated is also pretty much a win. Yes, know? it is. Yes, it is. It, it because it's you know, it means the judges like uh, what they've seen. They 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 like it good enough for it to win. A nomination is a win. It's just there's a decision on who wins. Mm-hmm. But it, it's a win, okay? Because there are plenty of other films that don't get it. They didn't win. Right. And you'd be surprised how. You can you kind of can tell who's sophisticated based on their response. It's a selection, and they get mad because they were only selected. They didn't win anything. Wait a second, you, you don't understand. You know, even if you if you came in second place, that means it was so good compared to you know hundreds of other films. Some people don't get that. So, but that's good. That's that's fantastic. So, what's next? Oh, I'm not sure what's next. Um... I got a job at a local television network at mm-hmm. LTV studio in Wainscott. Congratulations. So one of the, they've allowed me to produce my own television show for the network and it's called through the red lens. If I, if I'm, I apologize if I'm not allowed to do that, but um, I'm very proud of it because I'm the first native American uh, person to produce a show on that local net television network. And I've produced two episodes already. So, I mean, there's there's more film ideas. There's the show that I'm producing. I would really like to pursue either Looking Glass um, or Mirror Man as a feature, mm-hmm. uh, figuring out how to do that, as well as my late father's book, who passed away during the time of COVID. Mm-hmm. And he didn't he didn't pass away because of COVID, but I think it's that thing of COVID loneliness that a lot of our elders have to go through because people are not allowed to visit them, you know? Yeah. And I think that basically uh, he succumbed to that, you know, because he was in a nursing home and we weren't allowed to visit him. (laughs) Wow. 
um, wow. only through like the window and stuff like that. And wow. uh, I think he finally just uh, decided to be with our relatives in the past. Wow. And um, yeah, so I mean, my point of that being was that uh, he wrote a book called the Mashomas book. And uh, I want to pursue doing that as a live action feature as well. And um, that definitely would honor his memory. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there's a good possibility that I might be able to do it with the Henson company because they're, it's a very fantastical um, and it was meant for children. It was meant for a very detailed oral history of native American um, creation story till now in the, in the book. And it involves a lot of very beautiful imagery and uh, fantastical beings that may or may not exist in the world, depending on whose opinion you're asking. Um, <laughs> but things that we believe are real and are heavily involved in our creation story. Um, so I think if the Hensons really wanted to do it, I think they would do a good job in representing the very fantastical world of our oral history and creation story, you know? That's something. Yeah. Well, um, I really appreciate you sharing these details with us. You've you've painted more of a picture of what's going on behind the scenes and what drove you into becoming a filmmaker. So much history, so much rich rich history you've shared with us. Hey, Dad, what's the Soul Forge podcast? The Soul Forge podcast is all about life, the universe, and everything. Is it good for kids? Oh, no, it's not good for kids. Is it geeky? Oh, it can be geeky, but it can also be serious. We talk about life, sex, dating, and mental health, and so much more. Where can you find a Soul Forge podcast? You can find it everywhere. iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Amazon Music, and the ESO Network. Welcome to the most electrifying wrestling podcast in the Thunderverse. From the power of the people's host, Sexy Thor, critics say, it doesn't matter what the critics say. You already know you're in for a hammer-swinging, burrito-eating, mic-blazing, hair-raising time with this weekly wrestling adventure. WWE, AEW, Impact, and whatever else I can possibly fit. If you hear what the Thunder is talking. Holy shit. Is this a sick joke? Mr. Benton was gracious enough to come back on our show. And this is how you thank him? They've been doing this juvenile hot sauce bullshit for three episodes now. I hope these assholes really hurt themselves this time. So as a control with this whole last dab business, we are going to each take a hearty portion of the Megadeth sauce. Blair's Megadeth. Oh, with Liquid Rage. This was like the season two, season three, number 10. It had the number two spot. I know that too. Just like the Pied Piper <laughs> led rats through the streets. Dance like a marionette. Sway into the symphony of destruction. destruction. Yeah, not my, not my favorite magazine, though.
One of my favorite Megadeth songs, but yeah, not one. It's an age thing. It, it it is. I mean, I don't know where else to put that, but uh, yeah. But you prefer their Risk album? Where they sung about breadlines. Is right, that where? What? Is I that mean, where you go, Dan? I mean, I was getting all like Soviet breadline earlier <laughs> or later, depending on how I decide to fucking edit this. Yeah, I'm a poser. What of it? So let's do this. Yeah. Yeah. Have, so yeah. now this, the Megadeth sauce is like a quarter of the Scoville. This is uh, 550,000 550, Scoville. Yeah. So I've only ever put like the tiniest bit on anything because this shit knows how to hurt you. But now what we just did with 2 million Scoville, you're feeling a little bit more comfortable. I've come to the point now where taste is a concept in my world. I've killed my face so entirely at this point. Yeah, taste is just something the Matrix tells you. I, that's what I tell myself. So <laughs> it, it helps. It does help. The third option is we're going to really do some damage to ourselves because this shit is really tasty, but it also knows how to hurt. I'm going to put on more than I've ever eaten in one go. Yeah, he put about a almost roughly a penny size, I'd say. Yeah, you know what? We've got to go metric in this country. All right. <laughs> we need to be able to talk about centiliters, milliliters. It's not a dot. Yeah, it's about it's about a quarter stone. That'd be like the size of a cat. Are you trying to one up me, dude? All right. Well, tell the Thunderverse. All right, I will. Uh, I I will match. All right, it's at least as big as mine. That's what I was. <laughs> it's at least as big as yours. <laughs> hey man, uh, hey, cheers. cheers! All right, all Players, right. Megadeth with Liquid Rage. This one stings. This one has like a back of the throat sting. This is more painless flavor. Yeah. It's a quarter of the Scovilles, but it hurts more, doesn't it? Yeah. It's habanero, cayenne, and pepper extract. Pepper extract means like table pepper. Yeah. Just condensed and like weaponized, but fucking weaponized. Oh, shit. This hurts so much. This hurts. Oh, no. (sighs) Oh, no. I almost want to put dish soap in my mouth. Oh, Ooh, this one, I like it, but I don't. Yeah, not, not quantities like that. I would spray that over two, three chicken breasts. Yeah. That amount. I took a sip of water. Water's not going to help you, dude. Yeah, I know. God is going to help you. God can't see you right now. Yeah. In the spice fields, God can't hear you scream. <laughs> Whoa. I mean, fuck, just own it. It's yeah, it, dude. It, it's just me and my mind fighting against all the capsinoids going up against my nerves. Hardcore capsinoids sounds like like an Atari video game alien villain uh, adversary. Well, according to Smoking Ed Curry, that's what makes it feel hot. It's not actually hot. It's just the capsinoids against your nerves and your nerves feeling like it's hot. Yeah, like the video game Moon Patrol. I don't even know what that fucking means. <laughs> Don't let he get you, man. Come on, banal, banal nerd fucking banter, man. Oh, fucking my God. Give it up, dude. Oh, fucking clock in. Like, man. Yeah. Like, this is my time to clock in and go, like, old school Thunder Talk. Like, mm-hmm. say this is all for naught. So, uh, uh, I'm ready to hit stop, yeah. yeah. Well, we both lost. Yeah. Uh, Sean Evans, if you're listening to this, thank you. I don't think he's listening to this. I mean, one day he might. You want me to email him? You want me to hashtag him? I mean, why not? You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Oh, take the open shot. Exactly. 
All right, everybody. Uh, from everyone here at uh, Thunder Drink, Talk. fight, make your ancestors proud. Kick butts, not nuts. Find us on Dan at Best Saturdays, me at Ring of Thunder. Yeah, we're fucking done. You know what time it is in space? Getting it done time. <laughs> Are we done? Are they finally finished flaunting their contempt for our audience? Troy, my man, I'm so sorry. When the robot revolution happens, I promise. We're going to eat these two dickheads first. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to this very special episode of our continued coverage of the Miami International Sci-Fi Film Festival. We would like to thank Gnu Benton for making his second appearance here on Thunder Talk. Everyone go out and see Mirror Man. You can find out more about the film at Gnu, G-I-N-E-W, underscore Benton, B-E-N-T-O-N. You can also find Mr. Benton's YouTube page. All of that is down below in the show notes. And of course, we would like to thank our newest host, Troy Bernier, director of the Miami International Sci-Fi Film Festival, for jumping in and taking the wheel of Thunder Talk and steering us, steering us true, getting us back on course. And, of course, we would also like to thank him, Mr. Byron... Brock! I'm recording. Sorry. No problem. And, of course, we would like to thank Troy for bringing his cousin along, Mr. Byron Pope. If you dig that sweet hot jazz, go ahead and scroll again down to the show notes on behalf of beth adam and kavika as well as wheatley and mark who are off world taking care of off world thunder business we'd like to say thank you again uh, especially for putting up with sexy thor and mine's little excursion into asmr you know thunder talk we're always finding ways to disappoint oh and you know if you want to find any of us beyond just listening to us then uh, the show notes. I can't stress the show notes enough. I put a lot of work into those. I'm very proud of them. And the first person to acknowledge that they've actually read them by reaching out in any way, Mark McRae will send you a free t-shirt that's paid for by Wheatley. Just remember, Kabika loves you. Beth kind of likes you. And I can't stand you. Talk is a production of The Weirdos Workshop, starring Gnu Benton, Troy Bernier, and Byron Pope. Intro by C. Allen. If you want to find us on social media, we are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ThunderTalkPod. Our email address is ThunderTalkPodcast at gmail.com. Drink, fight, and make your ancestors proud. Shit, Duran Duran's last album of like their heyday. Uh, it had those two songs, Ordinary World and uh, Two Pieces. Um, I'm trying to get to the chorus. Come Undone? I don't know. That, those were two fucking bangers. That's two of their best songs of their entire career. And the remaining, and the all the other tracks, the other eight tracks, nine tracks on that album, 
were garbage. Just like, mm. never mind, never mind, never mind. Yeah. That's how I felt like that Megadeth album was. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.